0: Hi, friends. Welcome to the positive present.
1: (laughs) Hi, my lovely friends. Welcome to the positive present. I'm starting a new series called Sister to Sister. I'm joined today by my little sister, Elsie Lowe. I hope you have fun hanging out with us today. Hey, Elsie. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about a few different topics tonight. I wanted to start off with, first off, that you had a baby as well. I know we're talking a lot about babies, but it's a pandemic. Anything goes at this point. So you had a baby, though, in the pandemic. And so I thought you might share a unique perspective on what that was like and just your experience with the whole thing
0: yeah for sure I so I was due um May 8th so yeah beginning of May and of course we went into lockdown what like mid-March and I remember being like 30 probably 34 weeks pregnant then at that point or 33 weeks pregnant and getting really scared and anxious about like what this meant for my birth plan because we were seeing some places um even in Canada where they were only a well, everywhere started only allowing one birthing partner. And I really wanted Dallin, my husband there, and our mom, and I really wanted you to come. So I remember being really nervous about it, and I remember getting worried and watching what other countries were doing and other places were doing, and seeing it even get to the point where they weren't allowing any birthing partners. Or if the mother was sick, then no birthing partners were allowed. Or if Dallin got sick, he wouldn't be allowed. And just seeing all these rules happen, that started to freak me out and talking to people and you know we thought oh we're, we're just locking down for two weeks you know and I'm like okay two weeks it'll be over and then three weeks four weeks I'm like no okay this is I'm giving birth during this there's no way this is changing and we had I had decided to do uh, a hospital birth um, I did a hospital birth with my first and it was long and um, complicated and uh, I mean you were there but yeah it was there was complications and it was good that we were at the hospital so I started toying with the idea of a home birth and both you and Melissa had success, our sister had successfully done home birth so I started toying with the idea I thought maybe doing a water birth and I, I even drove up to Duncan and with Mary our, our little sister drove up to Duncan with her to borrow your birthing tub And I remember that was so sad because we came up and got your birthing, your bucket of birthing tub stuff and just like, oh, sorry. Just like, you know, like there's so many emotions with being pregnant already and like the fear of giving birth. And so to be doing all that while like the world seems like it's ending and you can't have like the people that you want like to be there and to be with you. So I remember getting the birthing tub from you, the bucket, and just standing on your doorstep and and talking, you know, a few feet away, and just being so sad that we couldn't just, like, come in and say hi and see your kids and stuff. And then then we had the birthing tub, and we come back down to Victoria, and I talked with my midwife about it um, at our next appointment, which was on the phone. They were all on the phone at that point. And she told me that I couldn't have a water birth because they didn't know how that worked with COVID. They didn't know about their protective equipment, how that would work with the water. I was pretty scared to give birth with absolutely nothing. And I didn't even know if, you know, if I got sick, I knew I was birthing alone. If Dallin was sick, I was birthing alone. If my mom was sick, she couldn't come downstairs. And all these sort of things just kind of complications of rules and restrictions and and so we kept to ourselves a lot we, we rent from our parents and so we stopped even seeing them for a couple weeks before I gave birth so that there was no chance that we would get sick and really just kept to ourselves yeah for the last few weeks and then um, I went to labor and I had a very short compared to my first It was only like six hours quick totally uncomplicated very straightforward birth and it was such a blessing um after all the worry of what what had happened before having had a posterior birth and kind of like stalled labor kind of and took a really long time and so it was very fast um in the end we wouldn't have even had time to fill up the tub because we I was in the shower at the beginning and we ran out of hot water and so yeah everything kind of just came together really beautifully and I was still really sad obviously that, that you couldn't be there, but yeah, it, it, despite all the, all the other crazy things going on, the, the birth went really well. And then, yeah, I the, I think after that, the only way that COVID really affected certain things was like, you know, the midwife appointments and, you know, and she, she couldn't do as many home visits, that sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, leading up to it was definitely, um, a lot, lot of unknowns. And I think now people are, things seem to be more in like a groove for people who are like giving birth. Now I have quite a few friends that have uh, given birth during COVID now and seems to be a little bit more straightforward. So that's good.
1: I remember you guys coming and I remember being so sad that you guys couldn't come in and just having a new baby. And I feel like Mm -hmm. everyone missed those like early stages of Having him, and yeah, I felt like now looking back, I feel kind of mad because I was like, Neither of us even had COVID. You could have come in and it would have been fine, but just that unknown is just
0: there's so much unknown still in the
1: pandemic, unknown. Yeah. We are at the same circumstances, everyone's in lockdown.
0: Yeah, I know. While I was saying it, I'm like, We couldn't see each other. I'm like, Wait a second, we we're still doing this over so Zoom. See each other. We still can't see each other. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, especially, like, I mean, not especially, but I felt it really in the way of, like, I don't even want to get sick, like, not even a cold, because I knew that that would affect my birth plan. So we were, like, full, you know, washing the groceries, like, stripping down after we left the house and throwing all our clothes in the wash and, like, showering, Every single time we left the house, I'm really like, really rigorous, and yeah, we definitely don't wash our groceries anymore, (laughs) like that. Well,
1: they they know more now. They're saying that we're not
0: exactly we're not getting it from the
1: grocery stores.
0: But like seeing, I don't know, seeing like tutorials on how to properly wash your groceries. It was just,
1: it was so bizarre. Well, I didn't ever watch those.
0: Oh, I I saw a tutorial It was like, this half of the table's dirty, this half of the table's clean. You put your dirty groceries on your dirty half of the table. Yeah, that
1: was intense. That was intense.
0: I feel like I've seen things where people talk about, you know, the pregnant mothers during the pandemic and and giving birth during the pandemic, but you just missed that by like two months, right? And so... It's not people, people aren't coming to be like, wow, you gave birth in the pandemic, but you had a newborn in the pandemic. Like, you were barely out of your midwife visits by the time everything kind of shut down. And then, yeah, we all missed, you know, the first year, <laughs> few months of Tommy. Yeah, basically, year. I mean, things were a bit better in the summer and we got to see each other a bit, but basically, first yeah. year of Tommy, like, so sad. Yeah, just seeing him, and we want to, like, take him from you and be like, let's hold him, but we're, like, not, I mean, I don't even think we were, like, fully six feet away. We were right there. We could have, like, touched him, grabbed him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I've never really thought about having a newborn in the pandemic, really, as being that affected by it, I guess, Because, yeah, because you were pregnant, that seemed like way worse. I was so grateful that I wasn't pregnant and worried about how I was going to give birth. I think because I was hoping for a hospital birth and hoping for an epidural and hoping for all of these interventions that I was like, if there's a pandemic going on, like everyone's sick in hospital, they're not going to let me do that. And, and yeah, it could have been very dangerous with, how it ended up afterwards with me hemorrhaging after and
0: if I tried to do a home birth and they weren't even doing the gas I I think they are maybe now but for a while there they weren't even doing the gas because of how it like aerosols by like airborne droplets or something they like can stay stay in the air for longer or something I don't know don't quote me on that but I think that's what I read but yeah I didn't I didn't want the gas anyway I didn't like it but I felt bad for all the women that had to, yeah, sometimes give birth completely alone or with only, you know, one support person, forced to wear a mask, like not forced, but yeah, told to wear a mask during, during labor, that's, yeah, I was glad to be at home and I didn't, I didn't have to wear a mask um, at that point, but yeah, I mean, it's all of us, there's every stage, people who had everything, birthdays during the pandemic and born during the pandemic and graduating during the pandemic. Well, we're
1: coming up on a year now. So I feel like everyone's had at least one COVID birthday. I feel like my saving grace was, we were still allowed to have, I was still allowed to have girls night out. So I would meet up with my friend and we'd just go out and through the summer, it was fine because we could meet outside with people. Um, I think this has been the worst. And now this podcast has been born from my need for Girls' Night Out. That's
0: great. Yeah, so that was kind of how you were keeping having your breaks and having something for yourself. And
1: Yeah, I, I feel like it's so hard to ask for that on normal circumstances, let alone in a pandemic where there's like literally nowhere you can go and no one you can see.
0: Totally. Um, yeah, I, I totally know what you mean, like finding... Even not being able to go on a walk with someone, it's like, what am I supposed to do for some me time? Well, and I saw this thing, I don't know if you saw, I posted, shared it on Instagram. It was talking about motherhood and taking breaks and it just, yeah, put, put things a little bit into perspective because I, I feel like I have a really hard time asking for help and asking for someone to watch my kids without me paying them or doing something to repay that time. And so I really don't ask for help very much, but I feel like with the pandemic, I don't have, I don't feel guilty having someone watch my kids, having, you know, mom or Mary watch the kids like go grocery shopping. It's like, I don't, I don't want to expose them. I don't want to take them to that, you know, and have them not touch things and that sort of thing. And so I would leave the kids to go grocery shopping and it felt like this, you know, me time and that sort of thing, or yeah, any appointments I had to go to, it was like, oh, well, I'll leave, I'll leave the kids, you know, because that's just safer. That I saw this quote on Instagram that said, showering alone is not a break. Going grocery shopping alone is not a break. Like these are just normal things that normal people do who don't have kids. And we have to do it with kids. And so doing it without kids isn't a break. It's not me time. It's just a thing. Now, sometimes it can feel like a break if you go grocery shopping and you really enjoy your time and, you know, get a little treat and you sit in the car and eat it or whatever. Or if showering is a form of self-care for you, then that." Can feel like a break, but I think for me at least, and I think for you as well, like finding something aside from that, aside from like motherly duties and household duties. <laughs> Maybe I just need a different duty. Duties, <laughs> dead guy <duties>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Finding something beyond that, like for yourself. And so, yeah, I think that's great that you had that for like hanging out with your friend and going out for dessert or dinner or something. I think like for me, like I started getting a little bit more into art. And so that's like a form of like kind of self-care for me. It's time alone dedicated to something that brings me joy. It'd be great to be seeing people, but just me in a little room by myself. I think it's, it's good to have something, especially during a pandemic, but it's so much harder with a pandemic, but especially in these days where we are pretty much cooped up with our families all the time. Having something that is for us and not for anyone else, and not yeah. because we have to, but just because we want to do something that makes us happy. So I'm glad that you have that with the with this podcast.
1: Yeah, it's been really nice to just have. Like, I feel like I have a girls' night out every week, and then I get to fine tune all the sounds and the little blips. And but it's been a really it's been really good too to learn that I still have the capability of learning. I feel like since having babies, my brain is just mush. And most of the stuff that I used to know or that like Stephen tries to explain to me, it literally sounds like wah 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 wah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I really want to understand you, but like my brain is at full capacity and I can't understand you. And so I just, Play it off as I'm in sensory overload for the most most part, right. and that's been fine. But it has been really nice to figure out that I can learn new things. Now, having said that, Steven set up the whole sound equipment and recording equipment because I have no idea what it is.
0: But look at how far you've come already with learning. Where you are now versus you, what three weeks ago? You're not that far in, and you two
1: weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Not even wow. two. yeah, just over two. Not
0: even two weeks ago and you've already come out with how many episodes and they're enjoy I mean I'm enjoying them. They're very pleasant to listen to. I don't know if I like to listen to myself, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I
1: I feel like I want to create a platform of authenticity and just allow people to be themselves and I feel like people can connect on that level. When somebody's being their themselves and being genuine and authentic, it's inspiring and it can be connecting in a way that that is really powerful. And I, yeah, I really wanted to create that platform and in the whole positive present movement, again, I know it's not a thing, keep trying to make it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, I really do believe that there's there's positive ways to look at things and, and even I saw what you posted on Instagram and I agree that even like getting a shower and going grocery shopping by yourself isn't uh, a break. But at the same time, if we can be one with ourselves and be happy in our, if we can find the happy or choose the positive, that can be our break we can make those our breaks.
0: Right. Like if nothing else, obviously in an ideal world, we have, you know, something regular basis, but how often does that happen? Especially now with COVID. And I, I was thinking like my husband works and then he comes home and helps with the family. Like, you know, when, when's his break, he helps out so much around the house with dinner and cleaning and putting kids to bed. He's very hands-on. But then I think, well, at least he's left the house and had know some breathing time a little bit of fresh air but then like for Stephen because Stephen's working Mm -hmm. at home right so like he he doesn't even have that so it's yeah definitely a hard balance with two parents both at home both you know have your regular things you have to do on top of finding time for yourselves
1: so now that Jimmy's joined us for a little bit I, while you were going to get him, I was just thinking something that would be interesting to talk about would be a time in where you felt hopeless, but despite all odds, you overcame and you came out stronger.
0: Hmm. Okay. I think a time for me that immediately comes to mind, um, because it was so recent, was um, a few months after I had Jimmy, I started um, getting postpartum anxiety pretty bad and I had had it with Millie and I have regular normal anxiety but it gets worse maybe four months postpartum four or five months postpartum it gets bad for a few months and then kind of goes away or that's what happened with Millie and so I felt it starting to get bad with Jimmy and he wasn't sleeping and was going through this weird phase where he would just scream a lot like in the middle of the night wouldn't nurse. Thankfully, Dallin could get him to sleep a lot of the time, um, and I just, I didn't know how to deal with it. I was tired. I would get frantic, and um, my anxiety started getting a lot worse um, to the point where I had a few pretty bad uh, panic attacks kind of back-to-back within the same sort of week period, and yeah, like I said, I was I was sleep-deprived. There was some things going on with Jimmy health-wise, too. He had, I don't know if he was teething, but he had a fever for like a week and we didn't know what was going on and he was sleeping really bad. He would just start screaming a lot and we ended up taking him to the hospital and they ran some tests and everything came back fine and he got better within a couple days. So just a lot of things adding up that were adding to my exhaustion. I was feeling very, I felt a lot of sort of I guess the worries kind of what you were talking about um, in your last episode that nighttime anxiety, you know at nighttime it always get worse and it was kind of when everything slowed down I kind of had time to think about things and I would get anxious and worried about really irrational things and I felt very weighed down by my worries and I felt kind of jumpy a lot and my mind would immediately go to worst case scenario about things and um I would have what I now know are like in intrusive thoughts where you kind of get in my uh counselor called a a mini horror show where I would see something something would happen and I would play out all the scenarios from then forward so Jimmy would crawl up to the fireplace and I would see him climb up on the fireplace grab something dangerous fall over hurt himself really bad we'd rush off to the hospital I'm there in the waiting room with him he dies we're at the funeral I'm picking out clothes for my child's funeral and going through all of this in, like, in, like, one second. And I've seen, like, the next six months of my life, the grieving process and getting over that and, like, feeling like it's my fault. And nothing happened. He's completely fine. Or he's asleep in his bed or whatever. And I felt what now I have explained a couple times. I felt, like, this, like, heavy... And very, very dark cloud, just like sitting right, sitting right on my heart and on my head, and just weighing me down, day after day. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And I talked about it a lot with Dallin and with, talked to you about it and other family members, and that helped a bit, kind of naming those problems, but then I ended up talking to my public health nurse and something about talking to someone else, kind of a trusted professional that told me what I was going through was, because I, I never got professional help with Millie, it sort of just ran its course and, and ended and it was okay, but talking to someone who was professional and could help with that and tell me that, you know, that's, you know, that's a normal thing or a common thing to happen to to mothers and to, with sleep deprivation and all of that, all the things I was going through that I was going through things that were normal for what I was going through kind of thing. And that I could get help for, for it. That helped a lot. And she would call me. So she immediately started trying to set up um, either therap- like counseling or some, some sort of therapy groups or to even see what was available because of COVID. She had me like go to the doctor and get some blood work done to make sure everything was normal there. And just having someone like professional tell me that I wasn't crazy and that she was on my side and was gonna help me get through it was huge for me. She would call me on a regular basis just to see how things were going while we were waiting for all the referral processes to go through and stuff. And I think for me, like one talking about it, which is hard with like COVID, not seeing people in person and having those in-person conversations, but talking about it, talking to other people who had been through similar things, you know, like you, and feeling like I was validated in my worries and concerns that like, yes, other people have those ideas too. And that doesn't make me crazy or anything like that was really helpful for me. So with with Millie, after Millie, I started to like read my scriptures a lot more and I started to really try and have like the spirit in my life more and that really helped quickly. I felt my anxieties kind of calming down. And this time, it was to the point where it was hard to even have a desire to say a prayer or have a desire to open up my scriptures. It was like, I was like absolutely stretched to the limit. I didn't have any extra room or energy in my schedule, in my life, in my heart, nothing to, to be able to do something like that. And so for me, the first step, I think, was just talking about it to other people and to feel validated in that. And then to make a plan to have you know Dallin help out more in the night with with jimmy which he did and to try to go to bed earlier to get more sleep and just sort of the logical things to help make it better instead of praying and scriptures it for me i needed i needed something to get to that point and so making a solid plan that we could stick to to help was i think what ended up working in the beginning so trying to get more sleep and trying to eat better. I mean, when I have like dairy or that sort of stuff right before bed, insane nightmares, especially when I'm pregnant, but even afterwards and just recognizing those things that were triggering and upsetting for me and just staring clear of them until I could get a handle on my emotions. And yeah, now I feel like it's been so much better. I mean, it's been a few months, but I've just been able to, I mean, I've done a couple of counseling sessions and that just like has been huge, hugely helpful to have someone give me actual tangible things I can do to, to help. And one of them, I'll, I'll just share it, was when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I think he called it active journaling, and I would just stop, and he said you could write it down or think it or say it out loud. For me, it was helpful to say it out loud and just list what I had done right that day. And so I'm feeling overwhelmed with the kids, and I would just stop and say out loud to myself, I got dressed. I fed the kids, and I had a tea party with Millie. I did that right. So, and then I could, it would just calm me down, just lifting them off one by one, and do it as many times as you need throughout the day or, like, you know, morning and night or whatever, and it just helped, like, calm me down and just reinforcing that, like, you are doing things right, even if you can't see it, you know, what naming it, just, like, naming naming your fears out loud, like, Helps calm it down. Naming the things that you've done right and the good things help help bring them power. Like there's power in in words, I think, and in focusing on the good and what you've done right. And yeah, so I think that was what was helpful for me.
1: That's awesome. I love that. I feel the same way as in what you were saying with getting professional help and getting that outside perspective. Uh, something tangible that you can do right then with reading scriptures and with praying I feel like if you're physically if your physical body is ill and your brain is ill it's hard to feel that uplift and that comfort that you would normally maybe feel through the scriptures or through reading or you feel God's present presence it's so hard to to feel that I, I mean when you were saying that it was hard for you to even have the desire to read your scriptures or to say a prayer like you were at the absolute max. I think it's so important to recognize that it doesn't say anything about you in that instant that you're turning away from God or that you're not, you know, listening to the Spirit or you're not seeking good things when your mind is is ill and you need that professional help. And I think it's so important to know that we we have that professional help, and we have mm-hmm. people who are trained to help us to train our minds. Like, that's basically what you're doing when you're doing that active journaling. You're retraining your mind to steer clear of those debilitating and downward spiraling thoughts. And it's so powerful to be able to have those techniques for the future, but in no way does it Um, mean that you're any less than for people who have a hard time looking for the good or people who are in a heavy depression you know it's their brain needs to learn those new systems and those new ways of doing things and if you've had it for years or if you've been Battling it for most of your life, then that's how your brain's been working for years and years So it can take a long time to retrain your brain and sometimes you need that medication to You know some people need it to help with that as well and That's another thing that I'm hoping with this is just being more open and real about mental health and that there's so much power in our thoughts and so much power in in seeing that good and looking for the good I've many times been in that situation and instantly now I can recognize them as negative. Even just the other night, I was getting ready for bed and I was standing in front of the mirror and I just, I looked haggard, like so haggard. And I was like talking to Steve and we're brushing our teeth. And I just kind of caught a side glance at like my dilapidated posture. and I was just like, oh okay. I'm having like that negative self thought of why is he married to me? He must think I'm so fat. He must think I'm so blah, blah, blah. And I started making all these things just from a glimpse in the mirror. And I just turned and I faced the mirror straight on and I winked at myself. And I was like, you're gorgeous. You are amazing. Oh my goodness. You're so beautiful. I like you. I really like you. And it was like, Instantly, I just had to do that because we were having such a fun time talking and instantly those thoughts of worthiness and feeling like I don't deserve him because I've had five babies and my stomach's all stretched out and my boobs aren't quite where they used to be and, you know, just these self-deprecating thoughts can sneak in so quickly and so easily and my former self, before I had postpartum anxiety and learned those coping mechanisms Mm. I feel like would have almost shunned Stephen and been like don't look at me stay away from me you'll be grossed out by me or something and then we'd go to bed and he'd be like what did I say did I insult her did I you know and he'd be like okay I guess we're going to bed or whatever you know and Stephen doesn't (laughs) coming up on 10 years he does not fight we don't fight we've had one fight and it It was a harsh whisper that we whispered at one o'clock in the morning, like, I think that you should do this. I think that you should do that. And then that was eight years into our marriage. I was like, our first disagreement. Oh, is this what it feels like? It was obviously not serious enough that I could recognize that we were actively disagreeing with each other and like, oh, this is our first fight. So we just don't fight. And it's not because I am a saint. (laughs) It's because Stephen does not fight. (laughs) I have tried time and time again. I've even asked him to fight with me. Like, come on, I want to fight. Just talk back to me. <laughs> nope, you will not. Just disengage. No thanks. So, yeah, it's been, it's so powerful to have those just out loud thoughts of positivity and strength because that's where we gain our power. As soon as, our, as, soon as we can gain control of our mind and our thoughts, we're unstoppable. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think it's especially cruel, postpartum anxiety, it coming up in a time, at a time in your life when we're already so vulnerable and so, you know, just done the hardest thing of our lives, pregnancy and giving birth and then recovery and to have those kind of thoughts. It's so easy to think those thoughts, especially, you know, our bodies don't look anything like they did before and feeling yeah so vulnerable in that and it's it's so like i think it's becoming less taboo now which i'm so grateful for but the idea of postpartum bodies it's like oh it's cute you know those the women who take a picture of their i i remember taking a picture of my bump after i gave birth to jimmy taking a picture of my belly and watching it go down day by day. I was like, it's so cute. And then at a week, it pretty much plateaued, And I was like, after like three days, I was like, this is not cute anymore. This is like, I I need to get my high-waisted leggings on. I need to like tuck this back away. And that's not how it should be. That's one week that is so minimal compared to what your body has just been through. And I think we're moving away from, from that idea of, yeah like you can you know yeah be real about your pregnancy be real about your delivery be real about your postpartum until we're uncomfortable with it and then tuck it all away and hide it and don't talk about it again because you shouldn't you shouldn't still have a saggy tummy after you know six weeks like what are you what are you crazy like that you, where's your six pack you know it's all different I mean stretch marks those are never going away and just embracing not only not hating those parts of our body but Actively loving those parts of our body. Like, I think our body is not our worth. How we look does not de- define what our value is as a person. We're a person and we're important and we're valuable, full stop, regardless.
1: 100%.
0: Then look at being mother. Not only does our body not define our worth, but some of the things that have changed our bodies the most are the most beautiful things that we've done. Having those battle wounds you know like scars and soft parts and all that that come from pregnancy and delivery and and also just life but I've really tried to like love those parts of myself like my daughter has noticed my stretch marks a few times on my tummy and pointed them out and asked what they were and I saw this cute post where this woman said that she like told her kid I think because she had a c-section scar as well so she said like you gave me these ones, and then your brother, like this, this line is from your brother, like from how he was born or whatever, something like that, something cute. And so I was talking to her, and I was like, I was like, oh, you, like, you know, maybe these, because there was some stretch marks I got when I was pregnant with Millie, and then others that came with Jimmy. And I kind of told her that and thought it was, you know, kind of a cute way of saying, you know, like, these lines are from you, these, maybe these are from Jimmy, from his feet, or from kicking me, or whatever. And then a couple of days later, she commented on them again. She's like, can I see your lines, Mama? And I showed her, you know, my stretch marks, and she was looking at it. And then I turned around, and she was – because I, I said, like, aren't they beautiful? You know, like, that's from you, you know. And then I turned around, and I saw her sitting – she was sitting on the, our fireplace, and she had her shirt pulled up, and she had scraped her tummy at the park a couple of days before. And she was like, There's my line, Mama, look, I have a line too. And I was just like I did say I think like I, I think yours I think yours uh yours yours'll heal, you know, it's a it's a scab, you know, it'll heal. But I just realizing that she had taken a she had looked at me, said something about my body and turned around and tried to find the same thing on her body. And I was just so grateful that it hadn't been something negative that I said. Because she's only two and a half, but she's going to remember that. Like, she, the things I'm saying to her are affecting her, and she's already remembering things from weeks and months ago. And so I was so grateful that I had been able to look at it positively in that moment. And then she turned around and tried to find the same, you know, beauty lines on on herself. And so I think it's very – it's so important, like, especially – raising these tiny children that are so impressionable to not attaching value to what we look like, but also like in a negative way, but also actively celebrating our bodies and what they can do in all shapes and forms.
1: Amen, sister. Amen. I agree. I was trying to think, like, what have I said when my kids have asked me because Oh, they do not have boundaries <laughs> the, I, yeah, I, I'm taking a shower. I'm going to the bathroom and they'll start talking like guys, please. Like when you're pooping, do I come in and ask you what we're having for dinner? I just don't just, can you just give me two minutes to not be <laughs> watched while I'm pooping and then comment on X, Y, or Z. So,
0: we're asking to wipe. No, you. no, no. Have they ever done that. Like, can I wipe it? No. no, no, no.
1: You leave. Never okay. had that, but I've had them be like, "Oh, it's stinky in here." I'm like, "Yeah, get out. <laughs> it's not supposed to smell like roses." One time,
0: <laughs> one time after, like having my period, and I use like uh, period cups, and Millie was like, she came in, she's like what's that and I was like oh nothing it's it's nothing like it. but I was like I want to just stay casually so I was like yeah. I'm like how well and I, I think I just said oh it's, it's a little cup for somebody. She's like oh like, can I see like, a little cup a little like no no <laughs> give me some privacy I need a little
1: privacy that's good that you're open I feel yeah I feel like I've been pretty open with my kids too but I don't feel like I've had that same narrative about my body. It's more like, yeah, it's stretched out five times. I'm going to still look pregnant for, until I'm pregnant again, probably. (laughs) Until it's legit there's another baby in there. It's going to look like there's a little baby in there all the time. (laughs) But, yeah, I've, I've tried to mostly just teach my all my children that not everybody wants things pointed out about their bodies too so that ultimately when you're pointing out something about someone's body it should be kind always kind and that's what Mm -hmm. i i try to i try to instill in them and i ask them all the time like are you being kind is that a kind thought or is that a kind comment and they can mm-hmm. they know they know if it's not nice so they'll, they'll they'll be able to retract that but that's what I've always tried because I've never liked saying be nice because you can be nice and not be kind
0: totally
1: so I really like the Cinderella have courage and be kind that's just always been my I've always wanted to be like Cinderella's mom mm-hmm. and just instill that in my children I've be kind, and that there's power in kindness. And I really hope that that is something that they, that they grow up knowing. But also, I have to emulate that kindness as well. I think in interacting with them, because like we've just been talking recently, Stephen and I, about our narrative to our children. It's easy to always be in the in the negative with them. You know, like don't touch that. Get down from there. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Do you know? And we don't even notice it until we hear them turn around and start talking to each other that way. And I'm like, okay, that's me. That is like 100% what I would say in this situation. And they're just saying the same thing. So now, now we've kind of had a bit of a reality check with our kids getting older and starting to really mimic what we're saying and doing. It's kind of terrifying, but it's also enlightening to see our weaknesses displayed on tiny little humans.
0: Well, do they, like, do they call you out on it sometimes? Like, Millie said to me the other day, she, I was asking her to be quiet or something, because I was trying to put Jimmy to bed. And she came in, and she was like, you were being mean to me, Mama. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Tell me what I did that was mean. You said that, like, this and this. Okay, I'm sorry. And just trying to, yeah, like, I'm glad that she's recognizing it as, like, yeah, that yeah, I shouldn't have done that. You know, you don't deserve to be treated like that. And then we can reconcile it. But, yeah, totally. Seeing them mimic it is, is tough. And I like what you said about nice is not kind. Because I've thought that for for a little bit now, too. Being like, I don't want to say be nice. Because lots of people can be nice and not be kind. Or be seem like they're nice on the outside but are ill-intentioned. And so, yeah, be kind is a much better mantra.
1: When you're trying to be kind, you're trying to kind of put yourself in the other person's shoes. I taught my kids at a very young age, the golden rule, do unto others before they do unto you. You know, i just kidding. <laughs> That's not the golden rule.
0: I was wondering has the if gold catch... <laughs> makes the
1: rule. <laughs>
0: huh? I said whoever has the gold makes the rule. <laughs> oh, what did you say? Do unto others? Before they, the rule. D- oh. before they <laughs> do unto <What>? you. <laughs>
1: it's from Oscar. Oh, you know me. Movie quotes. I
0: uh-huh. am um, and I was quoting a different movie. I, I know, am. Aladdin. <laughs>
1: no, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so we do practice that. I mean, for a while there, Julia and Esmond would be like, oh, you're not practicing the golden rule. You know the golden rule too. You need to do the golden rule. But then they kind of would, like, use it against each other. Like, well, but that's not the golden rule to me. Because that's not... Or how
0: I would want to be treated.
1: Well, Esmond says... Oh, yeah. I'd be totally fine if they did that to me. I'm like, no, you would not. Yeah, no, I'd be fine. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: okay, this is not... This is not getting (laughs) across.
0: See, I need to find a way to not make it sound like a threat. For example, Millie was trying to pull the beads off of her cousin's dress and she was getting upset she's like she's trying to pull off the beads I'm like Millie do you want her to pull the beads off of your dress but I'm like wait no that sounds like you want me to do that to you like
1: I think that's been something I've really had to learn with my children is to not treat them like my younger siblings because right it's so easy to revert into that like Uh, if I just say, I know exactly how to manipulate you because I was manipulated as a child with my older siblings and then I know what to say to my younger siblings to get them to do exactly what I want. But it doesn't harbor the same relationship when it's your child and you're the adult. Like, it's just not good.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a different thing, especially like, I mean, obviously the age gap between me and Millie is way bigger than sibling age gaps but I think like having younger siblings so much younger than you like yeah like I'm eight years older than Mary and so I'm like oh I have talked to like a little kid and being like the kind of adult kind of person should be a lot more mature you know and getting back into those things like no no this this is my child this is not my my sibling yeah
1: yeah, it's been it's definitely been interesting to have to fight those urges to treat them like just how how I've treated somebody I want manipulation basically like it's mm, been yeah. you have to learn how to not manipulate people mm-hmm. and how to allow them to discover their own free will. And yeah, I felt like I've really tried to practice that with my kids in in free will that no means no. You know, if they're tickling them and they're saying no or if they want to kiss them on the cheek and they're screaming, like, that's a no. A Mm -hmm. scream, if they're pushing away, like, you never, ever force somebody. Mm -hmm. And that if you're uncomfortable at any time, you can say no. And if anybody breaks those rules, you can tell me and I will advocate for you. Like, that's been so huge for me, I think, too to try to instill, to instill in my children that that is never okay to take away somebody's free agency.
0: Consent and agency is a conversation like right from the crib, you know, like I've really, yeah, tried to instill that into Millie too. And I've I've seen it in other ways that on like Instagram accounts that I follow, like parenting accounts in ways that I never would have thought of. Like, um, forcing your kid to eat all their food before you can get them down from the table they were like if your kid's saying they're full like you saying no and I I get that it's a balance you know if your kid says they're full every single night and then asks for a snack five minutes later that's hard obviously yeah adjust it to what works for your family but like so many times Millie be like I'm full and I'm like oh that's just because you had a snack before but you need to keep eating you know but like if she's saying she's full like I shouldn't force her to eat everything on her plate before she can get down, you know? Or things like, um, oh, I can't remember what else they wear, but but making them, say, like, brush their teeth rather than, like, no, nope, you have to brush your teeth right now. Give them some sort of choice. Like, would you rather get your pajamas on first or brush your teeth first? So they are doing both, but you're giving them a choice and letting them feel like they have that bodily autonomy. Body, They yeah. have their own free agency with their bodies and that they get to choose what order things go in or whatever, as much as is reasonable. And yeah, so that's definitely something that I've, I've been trying to, and that could be a whole nother, we should, (laughs) podcast number two. (laughs) Yeah, totally with consent and agency with, from such a, a, a young age, I feel like it's super important. And that you don't get a say, like, them feeling like, I think so many times we say, like, no one's allowed to do X, Y, Z, except, you know, except me when I'm bathing you, I'm washing you, or I'm wiping you, or I'm helping you with this, you know, like, except your parents. But I think showing them that they're, I mean, those things are helping them, you know, hygiene, that sort of thing. But with, like, the toothbrushing thing, she does have to brush her teeth, and I have to be the one to do it because she's not going to do a good enough job to, to be able to take care of her teeth but giving her some sort of choice with it so that it's not all me just saying, nope, I overrule, you know, I'm the trump card or whatever. Letting her sort of dictate that a little bit, I think, is important even, yeah, from a young age. Especially important from a young age.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, tooth, tooth brushing is a hard one because you don't brush their teeth and then, more trauma. There's way worse trauma with going mm-hmm. to the dentist and then they got to get teeth pulled or they got to get fillings. And, and yeah, I've in our earlier stages of parenting, I have to say we probably did, we did pin down our children because you just got to oh, yeah. brush their butt.
0: Jimmy definitely, Millie still, yeah, pretty much. Totally. But
1: I feel like once they're old enough to I always let them brush their teeth, and then I brush their teeth after, or Mm. vice versa, like, I brush them, and then they brush them. And Mm. that, I think, helps to break up that. Also, yeah, I feel like the first two were definitely the more strong-willed, like, you cannot brush my teeth. You can't do anything they don't want to already do. Yeah,
0: same with Millie. She'll just keep her mouth closed. I'm like, well, I'm not going to, like, crank it open, but if I can coax her to open her mouth yeah. yeah but just having some sort of choice that would you like to brush your teeth first or should I have a turn first yeah and then it's not yeah it's giving them a choice while still having them do everything they need to do to be healthy
1: right yeah and as far as the like eating eating dinner we I never make them eat their dinner except if there's something special after dinner they have to have eaten their dinner first like if there's dessert Mm. you don't get dessert you can't say you're full and then you have room for dessert right but many times our kids just pack up their dinner and they eat it for lunch the next day because they are full and they didn't realize that they were full I mean I am notorious for leaving the last two bites because it's just That many bites. Too many. If I eat those last two bites, I'll be sick and I don't want to. It's ridiculous. It's a thing.
0: And I think it can create unhealthy eating habits too. Right? Like you know your body enough now as an adult to be like, sometimes, to be like, I don't need those last two bites. I'm full. I'm content. And actually it could hurt me to continue eating at this point.
1: right?
0: Right? Whereas when we... Force our kids to not respond to that part of their body that's telling them they're full and telling them, hey, if you dished everything up on your plate, you have to eat it. You can't get down. And then rewarding them with more food, dessert, on top of it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's kind of, yeah, I think creates an unhealthy... Uh, relationship with food it can create an unhealthy relationship with food because i'm definitely under the waste not want not train i'm like if i dished it up i better eat it oh if there's only one serving left that's not enough for lunch tomorrow better eat that and end up eating too much a lot of the time oh
1: no i save that as like science projects from the back of the fridge It's, like, the last little two bites that nobody ate. And then, I'm like, a week later, I'm like, "Eh, okay, it's ready for the compost now. (laughs) I've babied it long enough. (laughs) Luckily, Stephen's pretty good. Like, he'll eat leftovers. I I actually do, too. Yeah, they
0: usually go on lunches. I
1: didn't know. I mean, I guess I forgot because I've been pregnant so often. But, like, I do like leftovers for lunch the next day. I thought I wasn't someone who liked that. But maybe something changed, too, but...
0: Pregnancy, you can't eat the same meal
1: twice. Ever. In my entire pregnancy. (laughs) Unless it's like, chips.
0: (laughs) Especially for me, like, if I threw it up. Oh no. Never again. No, Never again.
1: I, I don't know what, I I was trying to be proactive this last time, because I was like, I get so sick, it'd be so nice to just have something in the freezer that we could just pop in the oven and, and it will be good. And so as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I like cut up a bunch of onions. I cut up probably like 25 or 30 onions and I caramelized them all. And I put them in little, in the muffin tins, froze them in the muffin tins and then popped them out so we could just throw them in. I didn't have to cook or chop onions for like the whole time I was pregnant or nauseous at the beginning. And we baked like 27 to 30 chicken pot pies. Ugh, even just saying the word like brings a lump in my throat and I want to throw up but chicken pot pies and <laughs> we ate one and I was like oh no do not like that we cannot eat anymore and Steven's like okay but we have a freezer full of them I was like nope don't even say the words like I don't if you want to eat them on your own time go ahead but like there is no way I'm ever eating these again <laughs> even still I'm like I can't ever have chicken pot pies that's so sad. Oh. oh, I'm feeling nauseous just talking. Isn't that insane? What is it's that? Crazy. Is that like hormones? The hormones?
0: Ugh. I don't know. Yeah, totally. We did that recently. We were talking about huh? like pickles. I would have pickles and cream cheese on salting crackers with Millie and then, yeah, threw it up. Once you throw up pickles, no. Mm-mm. 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 I mean, I love pickles now, but Specifically on cream cheese and saltine crackers. Mm-mm.
1: That's so crazy. You got to be really careful what you eat in those beginning months then, because you'll never eat it again. Yeah. Okay, give me all the chocolate and ice cream, all the things that make me fat, and then I will.
0: Oh. <laughs> I will never. Really do that oh, I had no desire for those things. No. I remember being sick both times over Halloween. And the first time, we had so much Halloween candy, and I just dumped it all in the garbage. And now I'm like, all that chocolate, what was I thinking? It would have lasted. (laughs) I know, but I was just like, I felt strong. I felt very strong, just like, goodbye, (laughs) chocolate. You're
1: like, now me, post-baby, would fish those out of the garbage and still eat them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, post, like, me, two months later in my pregnancy, not nauseous anymore.
1: (laughs) It's amazing how just how your palate can change each pregnancy and how, yeah. Different stages, yeah. So crazy. But then you think, even with each pregnancy, you can feel differently, you know, like crave different things and stuff, but you're literally creating a different person each time, a totally Ooh. different genetic makeup each time. Not totally, I guess they're all related a little bit. Genetically, I guess, very similar. <laughs> Okay. Uh, shh, shh, shh. Uh, we're not going there <laughs> but like a totally different human being and yeah it's interesting to see the different cravings you have and the different things that gross you out but still chicken pot pie mm-hmm. Ugh. just the word chicken pot Remember. pie chicken pot pie and it's always has to be like slurred together
0: i enough times it
1: sounds yeah. weird Yeah, chicken pot pie so gross And we use, like, all the best ingredients, too. Like, we're, like, real butter in the crust. And, like, it just made it so tasty. But then once pregnancy, hormones kicked in. Nope.
0: Gross. Yeah.
1: Well, it's been so great to talk about all these different things with you. I feel like we've been able to have this little hangout session over Zoom. And it's, I guess, our listeners... Um... We're also connected over Zoom so we can see each other and talk and so it's been really nice. It's like a little girls night and it's been so nice to be with my sister and yeah, just see your beautiful face and hear your beautiful thoughts and beautiful experiences and I feel uplifted and I feel like even though I'm eight years older than you, I feel like you're teaching me stuff all the time. and it's so inspiring to see you and your little family and how you teach your children just to be strong individuals and it's so inspiring and I'm grateful for your friendship and yeah I love you.
0: I love you too thanks for having me and yeah I love I love doing motherhood with you we've been pregnant at the same time twice and it's so much fun every time to just be going through that phase of our lives together so yeah and I love what you're doing here creating this space of positivity and happiness and in a world that can definitely use it so um yeah thanks for having me be part of it
1: anytime you have a great night oh, <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> is everybody gone now
0: thanks for listening have a great day happy beautiful day